0: It's the start of a brand new week on Political Rewind and the beginning of a new month. It's uh, Monday, August 2nd, 2021. I'm Bill Nygut. Thank you for being here. I am, um, as many of you know, I took a four day break and I'm really grateful that on Thursday, Kevin Riley and then Friday, uh, uh, Patricia Murphy uh, filled in for me and I've been hearing great things about both of them. Uh, I know Patricia's interview with Clint Smith was spectacular. And if you haven't listened to it, I really suggest you go to our podcast and check it out. It's a powerful uh, look at uh, black history uh, through the lens of one of the uh, really prominent poets and essayists, uh, Clint Smith. Um, you know, we all view, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the pandemic through our personal lenses uh, ever since it started, actually, and continuing, I think, to this day. Janice and I did take four days to fly up to New York City to uh, see the closing weekend of our daughter Emma's uh, off-Broadway show before they go off on tour, and it was in some ways really wonderful to be back in New York City, but the entire four days was sort of uh, uh, shadowed by the fear that we're a lot of us feeling, despite being fully vaccinated, of the Delta variant, uh, the ease with which it can be transmitted, uh, the significant health problems it can create, and and so we were we spent the whole weekend being incredibly cautious, as I suspect a lot of you are being out there right now too. New Yorkers, for the most part, on the street and inside. Uh, various stores, restaurants, theaters, and the like were um, masked up and uh, seemed really aware that they needed to be careful. Our flight flight up was completely full, every seat taken. People complied with the mask requirement, and that worked pretty well. But I have to tell you, on the flight back to Atlanta yesterday, I was sitting next to an older man who, when I got on the plane— he had his mask down, covering just his mouth. And as we sat down, uh, I, I turned to him and I said as politely as I could, would you mind covering your nose? I'd really appreciate it. I'm a little nervous about COVID. And he said no. Uh, later in the flight, he took this mask off completely. And despite the best efforts of the flight crew, uh, he just wouldn't put the mask back up. And um, I finally said to him, I don't understand you. We really need to protect each other. And uh, he uh, essentially just uh, waved off my concern. And I I thought, I really feel badly for the flight crews on planes. What exactly can they do short of hauling somebody off the airplane? But we were, you know, 35,000 feet in the air when he was being belligerent. The point is, I'm trying to make here, is... I always sign off this show saying, please take care of yourselves, wear your masks when you need to, be sure you're vaccinated. And, and I think that is more important advice than ever as we face this new phase of the virus, which is uh, creating so many problems across Georgia, across many regions of the country. And we're going to talk a bit about that and how the government is responding to it on today's show. So uh, let me get uh, right to our panel. Uh, it's Monday, which means Jim Galloway, the former political columnist for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, is with us. Hey, Jim, how are you? Are you like me? You know, you're fully vaccinated, too. But suddenly, you know, this variant has us all a little bit more cautious.
1: You know, it's it's been two weeks since uh, I've been on the show. And a couple mm-hmm. days after the, the last appearance, um, I, I put something up just kind of worrying about this resurgence of the the delta virus i got I got a a Facebook post from uh, from uh, somebody i I've known since the tea party days uh, I'm not gonna call her out uh, but but she's a very bright woman homeschooler. And she says, you know, she says she's not, she's not, she's not convinced, you know, uh, Americans are, she wrote, Americans are constipated, have vitamin D deficiencies, are suffering from depression and eat garbage food product. There are a lot more reasons they are vulnerable to COVID-19, and it isn't because some of us choose not to go with experimental gene therapy. Now, a couple days after that, a couple days after that, uh, I, I call my wife, she's at work, and I'm calling to see if I need to pick up anything from Kroger. Uh, for dinner, and she is in tears. She just found out one of her close friends, friends for decades—I mean, since her Girl Scout leadership days—had died of COVID-19. Didn't even make it to the hospital. Not vaccinated. And you're you're you're, you're torn be- between being being distraught, being dis- uh, sad, and, and just being very, very angry.
0: Yeah, that's uh, exactly right. Um, Thank you uh, for sharing. That's a cautionary tale uh, that needs to be told over and over again, really. Um, Leroy Chapman, Managing Editor of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, is with us. Leroy, your newspaper has been covering the uh, outbreak of the Delta variant uh, very closely, very carefully. and We're going to talk about what some of your reporters, as well as some of our GPB reporters, have been reporting on for the past week. But thank you for being here today, Leroy.
2: Thank you for having me, sir.
0: Appreciate it. Absol- absolutely. Um, Charles Bullock, who I think it's safe to say is the dean of political science professors in <laughs> the state of Georgia. Uh, Charles has four decades of, uh, of uh, experience behind him. He is the uh, Richard B. Russell professor of political science at UGA, holds other titles as well charles how are things out there in athens in terms of people uh, masking up and being more careful about the variant you're going to start classes out there fairly soon and there's real concern mm. about what's going to happen on college campuses all over this state
3: that's right and uh, we are not mandating that one be vaccinated it certainly is encouraged uh It'll be nice to have a full classroom. I do much prefer to be teaching in person than doing it talking to a to a screen or something. So I'm looking forward to that. But yeah, uh undoubtedly there'll be some students who will not be vaccinated. Uh we didn't have widespread outbreaks last year. We were always notified if a student in one of our classes had been uh identified as having COVID or even having been with someone who had. So I don't know, I hope that maybe that will continue. So if we do have a student who is infected, we at least can be aware of it. But it, it does cause some concern in that uh, my class will have uh, 88 students in it. It's a lecture sized hall, but uh, we will not have a social distancing like we did last year where every seat on the campus had an either sit here or don't sit here arrangement. Uh, clearly, we're going to be sitting on <laughs> shoulder to haunch uh, come, come fall.
0: Yeah. Adrian Jones is also with us, and you too, uh, Adrian, are you, of course, a professor of political science at Morehouse College, also the director of the pre law program at Morehouse. Um, your focus has been on uh, the history and politics of black Americans uh, for a long time now, and you're facing the same kind of return to campus life <laughs> and having to deal with what it means in terms of protecting yourself and each other.
4: We are, uh, and I remain a little nervous about it. Um, we will have a, uh, as far as my understand right now, we will have a mask mandate on campus. And then um, last year they had students back last semester. They had students back and used a tracking system. It sounds like what um, Professor Bullock is describing, where um, they were able to really sort of keep it tamped down on the campus. Not zero cases, but very low. So I'm hoping that um, we're also required to be vaccinated. So I'm hoping that Mm -hmm. um, the environment will be one that will allow students to stay on campus because um, it's very palpable that um, students want to come back and be in the live environment uh, if they're able to.
0: Um, okay, thank you all for sharing your thoughts about dealing with the virus at this moment. Um, Jim Galloway, I want to play two sound bites to start off the conversation and, and give you the first chance to respond and then bring everybody in. Um, oh, late last week, uh, Governor Kemp was asked how he was going to change his approach. To the virus, would he uh, try to impose new restrictions? His emergency powers have expired, of course, but uh, he is still the governor of the state uh, and can still uh, uh, issue recommendations, use the bully pulpit to the best of his ability to uh, uh, get people to take safer safety precautions around the virus, and he's pretty much sticking, uh, staying the course, which was a headline in the AJC. Um, I want to do this. Uh, He has encouraged people to get vaccinated, but he is talking about it in relatively uh, mild terms. And here's what I'd like to do. Um, With the vaccine rate in Georgia still languishing at about 40% of people fully vaccinated, and with our next-door neighbor, Alabama, also struggling to get people vaccinated, I want you to first hear what Governor Kay Ivey of Alabama said to reporters a week or so ago as they asked her what she was going to do about trying to curb the spread of COVID in a state with a vast majority of people being unvaccinated. And here's how she described the effort.
1: I want folks to get vaccinated. That's the cure. That prevents everything. Why we want to mess around with just temporary stuff. We don't need to encourage people to just go halfway with curing this disease. Let's get it done.
0: And we know what it takes to get it done. Let's get a shot in your arm. And so i have done, it. this is safe. It's effective. It's, the data proves that it works. It doesn't cost you anything. It saves lives. And here's the video, having heard K.I.V. Ivey, that uh, Governor Kemp put out a week plus ago in which he talked about people in Georgia being vaccinated.
1: I want to share a quick COVID update Uh, here in Georgia. As we've seen across the country, cases are going up post July 4th holiday. We're also seeing hospitalizations start to rise. The patients that we're seeing in the hospitals are predominantly people that are not vaccinated. This is a great opportunity for you to talk to your medical professional, your local pharmacist, other people you trust about making a good healthcare decision for you and whether to get vaccinated or not. I have been, my family has been. Um, It makes me more confident, but that's an individual health decision. I would encourage you to take the opportunity to learn more, uh, to consider what to do.
0: Uh, Jim, the governor also said, uh, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. I mean, that is not the government's role. Our role is to educate people and to tell them the truth. I think there's a very clear distinction between the way right. a conservative mm-hmm. like K. Av- Ivy talked about it and the way mm-hmm. Kemp talks about it,
1: right, right. I mean, uh, uh, I would I, I, Kemp's approach is far more passive in in governmental terms, uh, and I would I would argue that yeah, you can lead a horse to water, but it really depends on where that water is. And how close it is to the horse, as to, as to whether whether it may, he makes it, uh, the horse will drink. Uh, there's a uh, what's what I do find interesting is is uh, uh, the governor's emergency orders have lapsed, so you're seeing these pockets of 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 uh, municipal and judicial actions. Jump up. For instance, you had the DeKalb, uh, uh, the DeKalb County uh, Chief Superior Court Justice uh, uh, extend the mor- moratorium on evictions. You've had Van Johnson in Savannah and and Keisha Lance Bottom uh, bottoms in in Atlanta uh, do the uh, do the uh, uh, reimpose the mass extension uh, the the mass mandate uh, with 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 uh, this time no objection from the governor. Now the one thing I I would point out uh, in addition. W- One thing that Kemp said, he he was critical of the Biden administration for for not giving the the Moderna and Pfizer and Johnson and Johnson vaccines, not pushing to get them off the emergency uh, authorization list and just uh, and and, and give them final approval. He says uh, uh, I'm presuming he thinks that 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 might encourage people to get it. But that's really a bureaucratic line. And and what that it does is it gives it gives it frees school boards it frees universities to issue me, uh, vaccine mandates and 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 I'm not clear I I don't think that's where Kemp is going here. Um Adrian <laughs> uh, uh,
0: Jim says that the governor has been you know passive in terms of the way he's dealt with the virus and also hasn't responded much to mask mandates in Savannah and Atlanta but in fact he did criticize. Uh, Keisha Lancebottom, for imposing a max mandate. He said the mandates would turn law enforcement officials into, quote, mask police. The city of Atlanta can't keep up with violent crime right now, he said. I know these officers damn well don't have time to be writing tickets for being, not being masked up. I mean, that is ridiculous, in my opinion. Georgians don't need that. Adrian?
4: I was disappointed about that statement. Um, I think it really sort of, I mean, it is an attack on Keisha Lance Bottoms, um, as she said, uh, what's quoted in the AJC as saying. And um, I think it ties to this crime issue, which I think has racial undertones when we're talking about a public health issue um, that I personally think is to some degree not an individual health decision. Right. I mean, the point of wearing your mask and part of the point of getting the vaccination is not only to help you, but to protect other people. And um, we need to keep that in mind on a local, state, and national level. Um, you know, if we don't get the vaccine the virus under control, everyone remains at risk.
3: Yeah, um, I think we have to look at this all in the context of, of electoral politics. And the governor is up for election in, what, 16 months, I guess, from now. And, you know, he is constantly trying to get back in the good graces of, of the Trump supporters. You know, the the president, former president, continues to attack the governor. The governor got booed when he was at the uh, state Republican convention. And the people who are most opposed to wearing masks tend to be Republicans. You know, if you look at uh, county by county, you know, where you don't find a mask, you probably see a, a red county. So I think the governor is a bit hesitant to weigh in heavily and, uh, you know, seem to, again, kind of uh, be against that Republican base. Now, it is true, certainly, that the president himself has you know, has you know, pushed the development of the uh, vaccines and has been vaccinated himself. But uh, my my thought is that the governor is you know, trying to take stands uh, with regard to, to crime, with regard to the virus, whatever else, that will play well with the Republican base and will play well with rural Georgia. Because we know the pattern of voting in Georgia is that Democrats live in the urban areas, and it's the urban areas which are now, as you just pointed out, uh, imposing new masking. It's the rural areas where you find the very low, low percentages. And I think the governor is reluctant to to seem to be crossing those folks who are going to be critical come to to next November.
0: Leroy, let me bring you into this conversation. If you don't mind, add a layer to it. Uh, Schools begin uh, today in Cobb. DeKalb and Gwinnett counties. Thursday, Atlanta Mm. public schools will be back. We know that DeKalb and Gwinnett are requiring masks for everyone who comes into the schools. In Cobb, they're voluntary, uh, to some extent because parents, many, many parents, push back hard uh, to prevent the school board from mandating masks uh, there's a lot of feeling that uh, students shouldn't be forced to put a mask on it's counterproductive uh, whatever so that adds a little more urgency to how what kind of unanimity uh, the state and officials in the state uh, can can find to help people understand how serious this problem is
2: there there is no uniform approach and that uh, can be a problem so when you think about, what schools at the local level are the decisions they're having to make? Uh, some of it is in response to parental choice. Um, there are districts where that is there's a strong sentiment there, and the politics of that come into play. Uh, there are some other areas where, uh, again, where you're talking about uh, rural places where the politics are certainly uh, tend to be more anti-mask than pro-mask, and then there are other places where. Uh, masking is not seen as controversial at all. So what you're saying is policy, you know, dictating the politics of some of our regions, and you're gonna have a, a patchwork of responses in K-12 through education. And it's gonna create a problem because ultimately, if there are spikes, then schools have to respond. And that response means, uh, are schools gonna be equipped to go back to distance learning uh, in a way that they had adopted before and that's not an easy switch to turn on and turn off. So uh, it's a it's a bureaucratic headache both in the uh, administering education in K K through twelve, but also too, uh, with uh, you know what a response is it should be or is going to be uh, with kids uh, th- depending on where you live in in Georgia. Because cer- certainly there are some places where uh, you know you're going to have masking and you're going to have every precaution necessary, and somewhere. Uh, there's practically, there's going to be very little precaution. Yeah, uh, Jim, we should point
0: out that Drew Charter School uh, is over in southeast Atlanta, which went back to classes last week, already had to shut down sending uh, everybody home because they had two, I think it was two, uh, positive cases of uh, COVID, and they're trying to protect the student body. Jim,
1: yeah, and and uh, uh, just to Leroy's point, uh, there's a, there's a, another layer to be added to this, and that's and that's the fact that with the moratorium on evictions expiring, you're going to have. Uh, you're, you're going to have all of this mobility in the public school system of students. Students are going to be going hither and yon and 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 they're going to be you know, they, 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 we could have yet another lost year in certain segments of, of, of the state.
3: You know, there's this massive inconsistency here in that uh, parents are very eager to have their kids back in school and yet if they want the schools to remain open, as we always said, then you know, you can't have an outbreak. And how do you prevent the outbreak? Well, since these kids can't get you know, vaccinated, you better have them with their masks on. So these two goals of the parents is we want the schools open, but we don't want to impose masks on them. You know, the two just don't compute.
0: Adrian, I, I, I recognize a constitutional law is not your area of expertise, but I, I suspect you're pretty got a pretty good handle on it. Um it's we, we keep flirting with the question of whether jurisdictions, whether private uh, uh, businesses should, in fact be able to impose a vaccine mandates on their citizens, on their employees, <laughs> and it rubs up against individual freedom and and the right to make a decision ourselves. Um, but we but when my kids were little, we had to show proof of all of the right childhood disease vaccines before they were allowed to go back to school every fall. Um, why are we—how is, is, do, do you reconcile this reluctance to do any kind of mandates on this disease— Uh, as opposed to those childhood diseases? And is it the political environment that's creating part of the problem? I'm not sure I understand that, and I'd love some help from anyone on the panel.
4: (laughs) I definitely think it's the political environment. Um, I think that we're in this phase, for example, where we're enduring this big lie, right? So we're able to say that there was uh, fraud in the elections. Um, It's been a theme that's been ongoing for the last several years. It's been repeatedly shown to be untrue. Nonetheless, we can pass this on to other topics. For example, um, treating the the COVID virus as if it's a political issue and as if science is sort of a sideline um, issue. And so it's not necessary for us to wear masks or get the vaccine because it is interrupting our personal ability to be um, free individuals um, These are not the same kind of a thing. And, um, you know, this is a medical issue, just like when we were children. It stands to reason from my perspective that people should be getting vaccinated for themselves and for others, and um, that perhaps they should be showing that uh, as proof. Um, it's really not a sort of a freedom of life issue, um, like the ones that we generally think of when we're thinking about um, constitutional limitations, First Amendment, equal protection, et cetera.
2: Leroy? Yep. Yeah. You know, we we are we are following this issue, obviously. So, uh, two two things. One, uh, looking at businesses and what they do, and as you think about Atlanta uh, having uh, so much uh, you know, in-town office space and high-rises that are now, uh, in many of those cases, either sparsely pro- populated or vacant, uh, businesses are still struggling with this. But I, I think the thing that, that gives you some insight into, uh, you know, the larger problem is that uh, we wrote about this, the healthcare industry itself is having a a problem. And people forget that uh, depending on what level you are in healthcare, you would think intuitively that uh, these would be the most pro-vaccine people. It is healthcare. But uh, but but no, I mean everyone who works in healthcare, you know, they're not immune to the political climate. Uh, some of the fears that people bring to the idea of vaccination, uh, period. Uh, some of the history of of, of that, and um, we've got vaccination levels in our hospitals and our senior care homes of uh, people who are exposed to very vulnerable people. That aren't where they should be. Now they're they're better than the the rest of the population, but certainly they're not where you would think. So, you know, the idea of people being uh, vaccinated, uh, there is a hill to climb. So the last thing uh, I just want to point out too is that we are taking a look uh, at data to get a sense too that beyond the politics, uh, who's most likely to not be vaccinated, and we're going to look at that in terms of geography, uh, look at that in terms of income level, education level, and and uh, And uh, to get a good sense of uh, where Georgia stands now.
1: Jim? You know, we've had, uh, I I would guess, we are in our fourth uh, decade of kind of institutional skepticism uh, in the US and I'm I, you know I don't know whether to b- blame Abby Hoffman or or Ronald Reagan more uh, I mean it was Ab- Abby Hoffman who said don't trust anybody over 30 and then of course Ronald Reagan's famous line was you know the the, the most dangerous words in, in in America are we're with the government and uh, we're here to help you uh, and 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 you know either from right or the left it's 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 all been about skepticism and and I think we're we're, we're paying a, a, a big price for that right now.
0: Um, I got to get to a break, but, but before I do, Charles, you brought up, you were the first one to put this in a political context, which it certainly uh, rightfully belongs uh, uh, to be discussed as. Uh, Here's Representative Drew Ferguson. He is uh, the chief deputy whip in the U.S. House. He's, of course, a Georgia congressman. Um, he responded to the House attending physician. Uh, Brian Monaghan, who, uh, looking at the Delta variant, said, we really need to impose a mask mandate on, on the U.S. House members again. And Ferguson went after him in an interview on Breitbart. He said, um, he called it a mask surrender. He said, what kind of masks and to what degree are masks effective against the coronavirus? And then he changed the subject entirely. Is it responsible for allowing migrants to come across the border, quote, unchecked Mm. or without checking for the Lambda variant of the coronavirus? And he went on to talk about essentially the lack of scientific uh, research behind reimposing uh, the mask mandate in the House. And this is the sort of thing that Jim just talked about.
3: Yeah, yeah, I don't know Representative Ferguson well. Uh, I did a program with him uh, last month, and uh, you know, he seemed very reasonable. He is a trained dentist, so you know he's you know spent years studying science. So he, he's you know should not be a science denier. At least one wouldn't expect that he is. But again, uh, look at his district. I mean, he's got a pretty much a rural district. It runs from uh, Southwest Atlanta down to Columbus. So at either end, it's got an urban concentration. But in between, you've got uh, stretches of rural and very Republican areas. Um, parts of his district that would vote Democratic, uh, you know, Muscogee, Columbus would, and uh, very northern end would. But in between, and where his voters are going to be, uh, are Republicans. And his only real threat to defeat would be in a Republican primary. And if he would be challenged, it would be from the right. And so he's punching a number of buttons here. So he's coming out against Mass, which is popular with a lot of Republicans. He, he brings in immigrants and says, hey, you know, you know, they're about to overrun the state, which, again, is a concern, as a lot of Republicans have. Um, so, again, I would look at this and say, yeah, he, he, he may know better. But politically, uh, he also kind of knows where to go to, to satisfy his, his constituents.
0: All right, Charles Bullock, you get the last word uh, in this segment of Political Rewind. I'll, although I will say one quick thing. Um, the man sitting next to me on the airplane yesterday, by the way, who's across the aisle from me, I kind of kept turning away from him throughout the flight. I, he, it's possible that he uh, was shedding virus. It's possible that I could have picked it up. Um, but I'm fully vaccinated, and so I would not be likely to get very sick. My fear is I don't want to pass it on to an unvaccinated person. That's what troubles me about all of this. And and I know that most of our listeners out there are the kind of people who are vaccinated. Um, but I just add that, that more than ever today, we really have to be citizens united. Uh, Charles, you want to say a quick, make a quick comment? Yeah, one, one thing that's
3: kind of interesting is, and I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but you know, uh, the bulk of the Republicans in the U.S. House are not vaccinated, or at least they claim they are not. Yeah. Now over on the Senate yeah. side, yeah, yeah. most everybody, Democrat or Republican, is, but a lot of these House members are not.
0: Um, all right, got to get to our break. We'll be back with more with a terrific panel in just a moment. Morehouse University's Professor Adrian Jones, Professor of Political Science and Director of Pre-Law at Morehouse College, Charles Bullock, Professor of Political Science, University of Georgia, Leroy Chapman, one of the bosses, Managing Editor of the Atlanta (laughs) (laughs) Journal-Constitution, and Jim Galloway, who, of course, you all know, uh, worked for many, 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 many years uh, covering politics and a lot more at the Atlanta (laughs) Journal-Constitution are all with me. Uh, today. Leroy, uh, let me read you the lead of uh, yesterday's story in your newspaper about the eviction moratorium expiring. Saturday's expiration of the national ban on evictions removes a safety net that kept millions of Americans in their homes during the pandemic and raises the stakes for programs distributing federal aid to help renters pay back rent. Georgia County cities and the state government are still working to give out millions in rent relief funds the federal government met it out in february uh so leroy uh your uh, uh reporters estimate that any up to what three hundred thousand plus georgians could be eligible to be uh, uh evicted now that this uh, has expired
2: leroy yes this is um, a potential crisis here uh there's there's if you think about what that would mean for uh the economic instability of people who are living on the on the margin uh this is uh very critical and uh is atlanta equipped or, or Georgia equipped uh to to handle this and and the answer certainly is no when you're talking about uh, these very vulnerable people now being subject to uh you know having to find housing and uh we know that there is uh a, a, a money that's available. But the really the problem is at the local level, uh, local government is having to create a way to distribute it. And it's put you know, an enormous burden on them. And uh, I think the, the president has had to deal with uh, folks who say that uh, this should have been more like the PPP loans, that it should have been direct payments to people, uh, that you could have allowed people to keep up with their rent. You could have averted this crisis. That's a little bit of hindsight. But it's also a little bit more of a complicated issue too, because the relief is uh, is subject to people who are tenants, but also landlords to some degree, and it is it is it is a potential mess. So now, when you think about what would happen if you had these uh, uh, evictions, uh, our court system, our local court system, that's already challenged, would be tied up in knots, uh, essentially. Uh, you've got people who are are, are landlords who who will uh, certainly want to make sure that uh, the the income that they're not getting from their property, they get it. And you sort of leave that to the devices of people who also are pretty desperate. And uh, there's a lot of ugliness here that could be in store for us.
0: Adrian, I, it's, it's a little bit difficult to know where to assess responsibility for the fact this eviction moratorium ends and there doesn't seem to be a safety net in place. But one place you can look, it, it, again, not in terms of blame, but responsibility uh, at the way in which counties have not been able to deliver the money they've been given uh, to ameliorate uh, people who can't pay their rent. So Gwinnett County has only spent eight plus percent of that money deCab 10 percent. Larger shares, 35 percent in Cobb, 48 percent in Fulton. Um, but many counties, Augusta, Richmond, 29, there's a lot of money out there to help people, but it hasn't gotten uh, in the hands of uh, the uh, landlords uh, yet. I
4: mean, kind of like we need for COVID vaccine information for people who um, have questions or are uncomfortable, I feel like the focus really needs to be on um, this eviction issue right now. Um, if counties don't understand uh, effective ways to issue the money, then I need them to uh, emulate counties that are able to do it. Um, because, you know, not only do we need to be worried both about tenants and about um, homeowners who need to be able to pay their mortgages and so forth. Um, You know, we've got other issues like health, like crime, um, like education that um, aren't going to be able to be handled effectively if people are unhomed and, you know, aren't able to go about the regular business of life, um, especially right now during COVID. So I'm hoping that um, other counties take an example from DeKalb, um, try to figure out emergency money. And then um, try to figure out if they can emulate counties or localities where um, issuing these dollars uh, is feasible.
0: Um, yeah, Charles, uh, Superior Court Chief Judge uh, Asha Jackson in DeCab, as you uh, it was alluded to earlier, signed mm-hmm. a new emergency order that would stop people from being evicted in DeCab despite the end of the moratorium for at least. Another sixty days. She uh, gave it a number of reasons for it. One of them being humanitarian, Charles.
3: Right. Yeah. So that, that's only one county out of one hundred and fifty-nine. Yeah. And the uh, yeah. two previous speakers said, you know, why? Why haven't counties been better at getting you know, money out the door? And maybe uh, AJC can can probe into that. I mean, it would seem like you know if you've got a you know, money dropped into your hand and it's for a particular purpose, it shouldn't be that hard, you know, whether you open up a list and tell people <laughs> you apply and tell us what you need or whatever it is, it wouldn't seem like it'd be hard to give away money. I mean, <laughs> especially when it's, not, it's not your money. Let's it's not like it, this is coming it. out of the taxpayer. I mean, this is sound money. Why can't it? You, you give it to the people who need it? I mean, this it, it boggles the mind.
0: Jim, I, you know, I said it's hard to know where to assess responsibility. Uh, uh, the president is, is facing pressure from his left flank on this issue, as he is on a number of issues, um, at, because there are people who uh, believe it was CDC which put this moratorium into effect, using their powers as the federal mm-hmm. health agency. Um, and uh, it expired over the weekend, as we know, and there are people to the left uh, of the, of the uh, Democratic spectrum who think that the president should have gone to court to, uh, to extend the moratorium. As far as I can t- understand it, the White House was nervous about doing that for fear that the courts might uh, create a situation, issue a ruling that would prevent them from, from you know, other emergency orders of this sort in the future. But Biden's under some pressure to not have acted
1: right right and and, and so his uh, so the call in the biden administration was that it's up to congress to pass an extension and of course you know that right. that was uh that was entirely willing in, in in the house it is far less certain in in the senate is that's that something like that would pass uh i, I just I, you know i i one of the one of the main voices to come out over the weekend uh was 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 uh, us representative cory bush of of missouri uh, and interestingly enough, it's you know I mean, it, uh, she she had a homeless spell. She has a homeless spell in her history, and she knows what it's all about. She's got a personal experience, you know. And and that's it's it's interesting that how 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 biography changes your mind on things. I mean, uh, you have you have Cory Bush in 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 Missouri on 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 the homeless issue. You have Mitch McConnell uh stepping on uh, because because of his his polio experience have having uh uh getting behind a, a vaccine push in in Kentucky i i just wish we had more more uh more biography uh determining uh policy in Georgia um the uh just to add to the conversation information
0: about it uh the the uh, uh, ajc quoted uh tanya Curitan-Curry, curry who is the um Deputy Commissioner of Housing here, she said her agency has experience administering rental assistance, but not on this scale. One challenge, Curry said, is people think the program is too good to be true, Charles. It's not unusual to hear people might think this way with funding coming from the government but this program is not a scam. She said more outreach staff may be hired, but did not directly address any other issues that might be holding back this half a billion dollar program. Adrian, uh, it's, it, once again, in, in some ways, just as we want people to protect each other from the virus, this isn't, again, a humanitarian issue. Charles made the point earlier in the show that with the variant racing through some populations in the state the notion that we could have as many as 300 plus 1000 georgians put out of their homes uh, in and, and placed in harms way from the virus among all the other problems is is it's a humanitarian issue adrian
4: i think it's frightening i mean it is humanitarian but it also should be personal right <laughs> you live in Atlanta too. Um, we want the environment to be one that is uh, beneficial for people and healthy. Um, I also, and you know, I'm concerned about homeowners because, you know, we're talking about people who are going to get evicted, um, less interest in people who are actually owning these properties and, um, also have debt. Um, I think both groups have issues, but, um, Homelessness, I think, for people is very destabilizing um, in what right now is already a relatively destabilized environment. So I think it's really important um, that I didn't get to mention that, you know, I'm hoping that there's going to be some additional outreach and clarity with regard to what people need to do to plug into these programs um, so that they can get their rents paid and so that owners can get their mortgages um, taken care of.
0: Okay, um, Adrian Jones, last word on this segment of Political Rewind. Let's take a break. We'll be back. We've got a couple more stories I'd like to get to before the show ends in a little while. This is a uh, panel that has four lifetimes of experience on of voting rights issues, and so I really want to talk to them about a story that um, uh, I've been monitoring over the weekend. Um, Leroy, uh, the House is looking at uh, trying to uh, come up with a new version of the John Lewis uh, voting rights bill that they hope They can get through and send to the Senate. And over on the Senate side, Raphael Warnock is right in the middle of an effort to try to craft a bill that he hopes Joe Manchin will jump onto so that they can find a way to do it on the Senate side. The reality is that passing voting rights legislation in Washington uh, is going to be a tricky matter. Yes, Leroy?
2: Absolutely, yes. And this is, of course, become completely Partisan. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think the election calculation that each side is making uh, is going to—you can't escape escape that. Number one. Uh, Number two. When you talk about uh, a a bill that essentially reinstates pre-clearance, not only brings in uh, the states that were under uh, that uh, that mandate, but also brings in states that never were. uh, You know, it's—it becomes one of those things where are you going to really get bipartisan support for it? So, you know, this is uh, the New Washington, where everything is so politically charged that uh, it's it's hard to sometimes see compromise. And this is one of the things that uh, because uh, there's so many uh, there's a lot at stake in terms of politics that, that both sides get entrenched, and it's only a few people who are really going to be able to negotiate anything. So uh, it's tough, uh, and we'll see if anything comes out of it uh, that's meaningful. Uh, But I think that Republicans are are pretty comfortable with uh, a little bit of the status quo where states uh, just maintain uh, being able to regulate voting uh, as they see fit and going to the courts uh, for any sort of challenge. And and this wave of what we're seeing right now, uh, you know, I think they're pretty comfortable with that standing.
0: Adrian and Charles, this is an issue that's in both of your sweet spots. Adrian first and then Charles jump in.
4: Um, I think Republicans are definitely comfortable with the status quo right now. Um, They, in my opinion, have angled towards getting rid of preclearance since 1965. Um, It doesn't seem like that, but um, my dissertation work uh, revealed that it's been a constant, um, slow chipping away (laughs) of the Voting Rights Act preclearance in particular And um, I also think that the Republicans can be confident that um, even if some of this legislation is passed, it's going to have to tangle with the Supreme Court, um, which has now already stricken the Section 4B formula, which establishes preclearance and um, done some interesting things with uh, Section 2 very recently. Um, So we've got a problem even if we can pass the legislation. At the same time, I am pleased that um, in both the House and the Senate, the pressure remains on because um, I'm interested in people having access to the polls, and these rules are designed to prevent that.
3: Charles? Yeah, the real problem politically is that by how you define this, you're going to pick up some jurisdictions that were not subject to Section 5 Previously, uh, for example, the proposal was offered by Charlie Norwood back in 2006 when the bill was being updated for the most recent time uh, would have brought in uh, a number of, of large cities would have brought in uh, in the north. And if you if the definition of what how Section 4, which would be the trigger mechanism, is going to work, if indeed it starts picking up, say, Indiana, which was the first state to have its sub. Uh, photo ID requirement uh, approved by the Supreme Court. Well, then probably most Indiana members of Congress are going to say, oh, no, we don't want to see that applied to us. So it's going to be a a very small needle to try to thread here to uh, come up with a bill which can get broad-fed support. Now, again, if you could simply go through and say, well, we're just going to define this so that you pick up uh, the the nine major states uh, that were covered under the earlier act then yeah, potentially 41 states say, "Okay, that's good, that's fine, don't worry about it." But if it's something like you know, if you had extensively long lines that you had to wait to get to vote, and that becomes a you know, one of the triggering mechanisms, well, then you're going to so say you're going to pick up a lot of areas that never had to worry about this in the past, and their members of Congress, their senators, are going to push back against it.
4: <laughs> good.
1: Uh, you know it it's, uh, it's 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 interesting how how uh, uh, the 2022 election which is already upon us has been really defined by the US Supreme Court uh i mean we 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 spoke uh, you know about how section 5 the preclearance section of the voting rights act was 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 kind of gutted uh, 8 years ago by the supreme court very recently uh, the supreme court uh, uh, uh pretty much uh, neutralized section 2 which was which which allows uh, allows individuals and 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 and, and interest, uh, affected parties to challenge uh, election laws in in uh, in court, but you also have to remember that the Supreme Court, um, I think it was last year, maybe the year before, took on the issue of partisan. Uh, gerrymandering and gave it gave it approval. They they decided not to get into it. So as long as this 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 upcoming redistricting session in Georgia and all the other states, uh, if if Republicans uh, can avoid the issue of race, just mentioning mentioning race, concentrate on uh, talking about Democrat Democratic performance right. and Republican performance, they'll be able to shape yep. uh, that that, that con- uh, the, the the U.S. House context to a f- great great degree.
0: Yeah, Charles, uh, Galloway makes really good points about that. Uh, not only the Section 2 ruling by the court, but their previous ruling um, uh, more uh, uh, on the whole issue of not wanting to weigh in on partisan gerrymandering. Uh, Republicans are not going to have, and is one of the states that's going to happen, they're not going to have many barriers to drawing lines that are uh, totally favorable to electing more Republicans. Right, Charles?
3: Well, yeah, although uh, ultimately there is a constraint, and that is that the state, as we've seen, is becoming a more evenly balanced state. And therefore, you know, if Republicans were to follow the path that was blazed by Democrats 20 years ago, and that is pull out all the stops, try to come up with the most extreme partisan gerrymander you can think of, then that that could easily blow up in their faces simply as people move around and as the state becomes increasingly diverse in terms of its ethnicity, in terms of where people are coming from. So that, I think, could ultimately put a constraint on how the courts go. One brief thing with regard to Section 2, uh, I think there may be more to, to see in, in that, and that uh, the decision pointed that, that the issue, at least in the view of Judge Alito and uh, four of his colleagues, was that there was only a trivial impact. So I think there are going to be questions then raised in terms of how much of an impact moves beyond trivial and becomes major, at which point maybe the court then does step in and blow the whistle.
0: Right, Adrian, uh, let me jump in and then give it to you. Uh, uh, Charles says there could be blowback if they try to draw these highly partisan lines. And in fact uh, many of us remember that Roy Barnes back when he was governor did just that. He drew he drew crazy multi-district lines and, and gave Democrats a real edge in the legislature and it it, it bit him back. Uh, there were many people who were offended by the uh, the way in which his people used their muscle to push through these democratic maps. And so, Char- what do you think about Charles' point, Adrian? That maybe the same thing could happen if Republicans are overtly partisan.
4: Um, in the state of Georgia, I think that Republicans should be concerned. I think that people are um, aware of what's going on and they're paying attention, um, and they're definitely going to be looking at the uh, the lines for redistricting. Um, But I think in addition to the preclearance and the concern about Section 2, which I hope uh, Professor Bullock is correct, that there will be a limit at which the Supreme Court is willing to step in. Um, Also, the Supreme Court has um, allowed less campaign finance control. We're seeing it here in the state. Um, And I think this also puts pressure on elections that um, it's important.
0: (laughs) I know it's the break. Jim Galloway, get a last word in, Jim.
1: Uh look it's 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 one thing we haven't talked about yet is the, is is the ground game that house republicans in the state capitol are playing about the takeover of Fulton County. Uh that's that'll have to wait for another day but it's it, that's that's also a, a, another concern that everybody uh, oh, needs to keep keep an eye on.
0: I apologize for interrupting you, Jim, but I'm out of time. Yes, I guarantee you we will be talking about that issue in shows to come. In the meantime, Jim Galloway, Charles Bullock, Adrian Jones, Leroy Chapman, thank you. This is another one of those shows when I wish I could just sit back and do nothing but listen to your smart observations. Thank you so much for being here today. My thanks to Jesse Neiswanger, Sam Burmistaws, and Amelia Brock for holding down the fort while I was gone last week. It's great to be back with all of you on Political Rewind. I'll be back tomorrow. In the meantime, take care, stay safe. Please, please, listen to what the CDC is saying. Wear a mask when you're indoors, even if you're vaccinated. And if for some reason you're not, please, please think about getting a vaccine now. See you all tomorrow.